Hey guys, welcome back to the Pendolia Project. And today we talked a lot about your breakthrough story personally, how to get your breakthrough performances and how to push through barriers. But first, Aaron, what did we do this week? We went on a great hike yesterday. That was the probably the highlight of the week. We love our Sunday uh, family hikes. Those are really like say a highlight of our of our week, I think. I love getting out there and seeing the different trails. There's so I mean, you could never hit all the trails around us, which is in part why I wanted to move here in the first place. But uh, now with with us as a family, uh, it's just nice to even explore just something as simple as why do they have that solar panel up on that hill with in our, our daughter just wanting to know what that's about and and well let's go see let's go explore it and I was kind of pointing out to her the different towers the radio tower around us and what they use that for and why they probably use the solar panel although I'm kind of guessing um, but uh, it's just cool to watch uh, her learn and explore our our area and just love the nature and the outdoors and then of course we had to go play in the river a little bit and then then we continued that journey downtown actually walked around and just enjoyed the atmosphere there we're lucky to have our beautiful Trekkie river flowing right through downtown and and a lot of people were actually out yesterday which i know with the quarantine we all have to still kind of be careful but it was nice to see people out there and enjoying themselves again and just restaurants are open again now and that was it was we were so excited just to go get our favorite cup of coffee that's finally open again yeah we've been cafe capello downtown used to be java jungle for those of you that are in reno you would remember that place very very well um yeah i've been checking every weekend are they open are they open and finally yesterday they were open or we saying it's kind of nice you know it makes you appreciate the simple things that we get to go and yeah go to our favorite coffee shop and walk by the river and that was a great day yeah and speaking of breakthrough performances days like yesterday are so important for our breakthrough performances and and for me it was it's sunday's always the recovery day or at least it is now in my plan and my schedule and it's a family day. I always look forward to it. The day before, I pushed myself at a 22-mile trail run that was pretty arduous. And actually, I had a lot of fun doing it. But uh, the, the last section was a bit of a push. And uh, so yesterday was all about recovery and just, just some easy hiking and walking with the family. And just even putting my uh, – I got into the river, and the river was like ice cold. And that just felt really good on some sore muscles. And just reminding myself, man, these are the days that make those other days so worth it. Yeah, and getting the back, we are saying the, the breaking through the barriers. We did cover that today's um, episode about how not every training session needs to be a quote-unquote hard training session because – if you listen further, it'll explain why, you know, always going at 100% is probably not, won't serve your, your purpose the best way. Yeah, and I would say that for anybody wanting to find that breakthrough performance for themselves, we just give you the tips from some of the world's best, some of the athletes that I've worked with, and then I shared my own personal story. But then we challenged you guys to send us your breakthrough story. What we want to know is how did you get there? And the theme here is trying to find that spot 
where you're willing to push through the barriers and you've challenged yourself enough to prove to yourself you can do something. Because if it's not hard or if it's not a, a real challenge that you could fail, it's probably not so satisfying. It's not worth going after. Let's face it. The reason why we consider challenges to be important is because we could fail, but when we make it through, we feel proven. So the the theme here is how we are going to be a better version of ourselves and finish with that happy, proud, and proven feeling. Let's hear your stories next. Hey guys, I'm your host, Matt Pandola. And I'm your other host, Aaron Pandola. Our hostess with the mostest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, today we're going to be talking about just breaking through barriers. And this is a really fun topic, I think. I initially had to write a story, a breakthrough story for Dr. Del Cotter. And going in through this course that I've mentioned before, this is our PECI course, and um, we had to discover different case studies and read about different athletes, how they were able to reach the highest levels of competition, really, and deal with that kind of stress and still yet come out the other side and become the best of the best. What what things did they have in common and how can we as coaches help our athletes discover those things about themselves and, and guide them along the way. So surprisingly, we had to write our own breakthrough story, which I wasn't really anticipating. And initially in writing mine, I realized how vulnerable I had to get in order to really get that story out. So I thought I'd share some examples today about what the world's best tend to do, how they think, and what their breakthrough stories are like, but probably even more importantly is what do they have in common in these stories. Although we want to be our own person and we all have our own individual stories, it's also good to kind of know what type of attributes the elites have and how we may be able to follow with some of those points as well. I always like this topic too, um, not from a personal perspective, like my breakthrough story, but I like listening uh, to other people's breakthrough stories, even if it's you know, not somebody famous, but just a fellow, a fellow teammate or a friend. And, and you hear these stories and it's inspiring on all levels to me. Yeah. Getting in the performance zone is something that I believe we all have experienced before. Some for some people, that performance zone might have been playing the guitar. Other For other people, it could have been something um, let's say that they're in a situation that really pushed them to the absolute max in their pain cave and they somehow came out the other side and then realized that that was their breakthrough and they didn't even realize at the time necessarily that they were going through it they just sort of organically responded to it and realized they had what it took and and that's can be so empowering so what i find looking at my past and understanding that some of my breakthrough stories can help me today was really empowering in itself. Writing my story, I also kind of realized that I've been there, I've done that, I've been in the pain cave, I've pushed myself through to the other side, but I didn't necessarily know how I did it. I never really broke it down 
to figure that out. And then since I started doing that more, I've been able to take those experiences with me and improve my current experiences, whether that be for performance in athletics or the business or just even as just a a person trying to be a better version of myself every day. Yeah, it's nice to have examples. Like you said, you may not at the time that you're going through this experience, you're not realizing right then and there how valuable it is until after. And then it just kind of, it's almost better that way. I don't know if that makes sense. Like you're not thinking about it so much at the time, but then afterwards when you reflect back and then that just sets you up for the next time, you know you're going to be in a situation where you're going to have to dig deep and, and get through something like that. I read a book a long time ago. I think it was called The Rise of Superman. And it was a really interesting book about how athletes get into the flow. There's a there's a few things that most athletes do have in common when it comes to being able to focus now and perform in the present and make the most out of every moment. And yet it's so hard to get there if you actually consciously think about it, right? That's the tricky part because the more you think about it, the less it's probably going to happen, certainly not organically. Yeah, you kind of hype yourself up, like thinking about it too much before it becomes this bigger thing and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then so it's overwhelming almost. So if you kind of let it happen naturally, if that's at all possible, I, to me, that's that's a good route. Well, I liken it to having somebody come into the gym for the first time, doing an assessment with us, having no idea moving in their archetypes like a squat if what they're doing is right or wrong. And we're just observing as coaches. When I was a younger coach, it was definitely more paralysis through analysis. I would give them 20 pointers. I was trying to help them out, but all these pointers and cues, and I think I just would coach them into confusion. And I realized over time that I was better off just picking maybe a few things or a couple things, cues that they could work on. But the more external cues that I could use, the better. That's why, for example, we will do a hand-assisted single-leg type of movement, like a single-leg pistol squat, hand-assisted on the squat rack. And some people might think that doesn't make sense because why bother doing a balancing drill or a drill that requires more stability if you can't or if you need to use assistance while doing it? Well, that assistance provides just enough cueing for the brain telling the body what to do. So the nervous system is essentially just your brain, spinal cord, telling your whole body this is the demand we now have. This is our environment. This may be our new environment, and we have to adjust to that uh, demand. So a good nervous system simply adjusts to those new demands. So just like anything else, of course, you're going to be able to just like riding a bike. You won't need training wheels forever, but at first, those training wheels can really help out. Or just thinking about last year teaching Mia to ride her bike, and uh, after about 30 minutes or so, we were letting go longer, longer, longer until she was just completely on her own. So we didn't even use training wheels in her case. And really within 30 minutes, she learned to ride her bike and could stay upright on it. We started off on grass. So when she fell, it didn't hurt so bad. We did try to catch her, but I think falling 
was good in a sense and then getting right back up doing it again and so that process in itself i think helped so we were her training wheels a bit and then we take that assistance away and she's doing it on her own so this is where i think keeping it simple with finding a flow is really important don't you yeah and having those mistakes or say learning mistakes that they're not necessarily mistakes because you are in that learning process those are all very beneficial and I mean yeah we're human so of course there are going to be mistakes made along the way but you're learning and growing from those and it's nice to know people all have those experiences so it's not just you and even the greatest people that you admire have you know made mistakes along the way but they've just learned from those Uh, yeah and I'm going to bring up just an example about how to find good neuromuscular facilitation. In other words, getting my muscles to be able to respond the way I want them to for my run. When I initially have, let's just say it's a tight calf, okay? So I'm I'm starting my training session and I just notice that my calf is tight. So I, of course I can do some smash and some stretch and some movement. But what I really like to do initially is breathing techniques where I'm going to really focus on the tension in my calf, breathing in, getting that tension drawn to through my breathing, and then breathing out and really relaxing and letting that muscle melt, if that makes sense. And actually, as I go, I'll actually try to make more and more tension until I'm producing like max tension throughout my body now, just not just in my calf, but throughout my body from head to heel, strong as steel for about 10 seconds at a time. So I I go from just basically doing some sort of a smash type of drill for my calf using my breathing. So literally taking maybe a med ball, getting my calf on top of that med ball, rolling on top of it, getting to that hot spot, quote unquote, John Hodges, if you're listening, don't get mad. I'm using these, these references. He's the PT that doesn't believe in hot spots, but anyway, and I'm breathing in and then slapping and moving that muscle as I am now breathing out and relaxing. And then as I go along, I'm going to get into maybe some sort of a plank or any sort of athletic position. Maybe I'm doing a hip pull apart type of drill, but I'm really focusing on getting my whole body head to heel, strong as steel, and then hold that max tension in what I call expansion position. So that's where if you think of it this way, most of your joints in your body are compressed, especially if there's tension there. So you want to get into expansion. So in other words, I'm going to get into good expansion or extension through my calf and then get that entire body to tighten up as much as I can, almost like exhausting things for about 10 seconds, not too long. And I'll go overkill. And then I just relax and just let everything just move out all the tension just breathe it all out so it just moves all out through my nose because i do all this all through nasal breathing now that is my form of meditation i've I've explained before that's about as close as i get to being a yogi but it works for me yeah again i don't have as much experience with yoga but the people that i do know that 
have a lot of experience with it. I think that is one of the main principles of like learning how to hold these positions for a certain amount of time and it takes all your concentration and all your focus and it's very challenging but then you move to the next one you kind of get that release of like oh so yeah the breathing and then everything releases and you're like okay now it's calm again and then you go to the next the next thing and I'll tell you why this is important to me especially starting off this way in my day and then making it a ritual because Obviously, when I perform or when I race, those same things can pop up again. I can have my calf tighten up, and yet I don't really want to stop moving. So in part, just going back to my ritual of breathing air into that tight spot and focusing on that, believe it or not, because I practice it enough and it's part of my rituals, I can actually get myself to relax more while I'm running without having to stop. And th- is that is that actually happening like it does in my stretches or in my smash and stretch series that I do? No, but it's amazing what the system adjusts to. And if you use the power of your mind, and of course your nervous system is strongly linked to those things, then I'm able to actually get the effect I want. Another good example would just be when people's traps get really tight when they run and they complain about their necks or their upper shoulders being tight. And I tell them just to shrug up and squeeze as hard as they can on those traps while they're running and just exhaust it and then go ahead and relax. And you'll see that those those muscles are now tired enough or fatigued enough that they actually want to relax more. And that's a trick I actually learned from the great Bobby McGee for running, but it works super well. So you just take that concept and you can put that anywhere into your body, but it just takes some ritualization and some practices, some visualization for it to work more effectively. Yeah. I think having, like you're saying, making it a a practice, a ritual so that when the time comes that you need to put that into play when you're performing, then it just kind of happens naturally because you've done it so many times that you don't, you just rely. It's like, oh, it just kicks in for you. Exactly. And now we're going to just talk about our breakthrough story and how we can get ourselves into the zone, into the flow. But again, you know, this was just something important to me as we did talk about rituals. So we understand that getting into the flow is a daily practice and it is something that we want to utilize every day so we get very, very good at it. And it's not something that is as conscious, right? So that's something that we want to be able to have automatic. Just imagine trying to think about how you actually strike your foot onto the ground. You can't think about all of the mechanisms happening throughout your entire body to create force production. It's got to be automatic. So it's the same thing here when we talk about getting into the zone. The more that we visualize to energize, the more that we practice our four Ps, which was in our last episode on Monday. Be sure to listen to that one. The better off you're going to be. So we want to start with maybe a a process And there's a few, actually five things that we broke down on the attributes of the elites. And then finally, we'll get into our breakthrough stories. So the elites tend to acknowledge their negative thoughts, but they don't fixate on them. 
So we'll start off with just what's a basic negative automatic thought that you might have when you go to a competition, let's say martial arts for you, Aaron, where you see some just kind of like badass that's out there and you're kind of intimidated by them. What might you think about that before you have to face off again? You find out that that's a person you're facing off of that facing off against that day. My first negative thought would be, I'm going to get my butt kicked. (laughs) Um, And let's try to figure out how to make that not happen. So why would you say that you would automatically think about getting your butt kicked? Because we'll assume that maybe you know something about this person and you're a little bit intimidated. So we'll delve down into why would you be intimidated by somebody because they have a higher skill set because yeah, why? I mean, it could be a number of things, but yes, maybe they have more experience than I do. Okay. So, so that's perfect. Uh, we'll use that as an example. I used to talk a little bit more to my athletes about fake it to make it. And again, in the last podcast, we talked about why that doesn't always work. So we're using some of the things we talked about on Monday into this process. Um, again, I think it'd be great if you guys were to give us some feedback on how these things are working for you. I'd love to hear how this is affecting your process. But I'm going to think about ING. I'm getting better at this. I'm getting a higher skill set. But I can't fake experience. So if I don't have as much experience as the next person, I think it would set me up for failure by even if I tried to t- think positively, but fake it to make it like I'm better than so-and-so or I'm stronger. Or I have, I, I have higher skill sets, but you know, that's not true. So what you can do, I like to always go back to the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi. Whenever we talk about martial arts, it's like one of the few things that make sense to me. Um, but keep it simple. So maybe the basics you are doing better. Maybe that person has not practiced the basics in years, whereas you've been practicing those basics actually more and with more quality and more frequency. And if you just stick with the basics, maybe you could pull off a win because you stuck with what you know and you're just realizing that that's all you really need to know for right now. You don't need to put yourself into that other person's situation or body and try to make yourself like them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It um, it sounds easier said than done, but I think, again, going back to that, the practice, 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 you know, the more you put yourself in those situations, then the more automatic that will become when, when you need it to be there. And just like me is another good phrase that I like to use. Again, learn that from Dr. O'Cotter. But uh, I think sometimes it gets misunderstood there too. So in other words, well, you're telling me that I'm not as strong as so-and-so or it's okay to realize I'm not as skilled as so-and-so. So why would I say just like me? They are probably nervous they because they care and they want to win too um and one of you has to lose right so even though maybe they have more experience than you that's pressure in itself like i don't want to lose against the girl with less experience than me right and uh, i'm sorry in in uh jiu-jitsu what's your belt right now i'm a blue belt a blue belt so let's just say that yeah in a tournament 
you're going blue belt to blue belt. I understand that, but you're you're uh, maybe going against somebody who's about to get their next level. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, those of you that know jiu-jitsu understand the stripe system. So you could be, I, I'm a brand new blue belt, zero stripes. So I'm just the, the regular blue belt and I could be going against, say, a three-stripe blue belt. And that's very intimidating because they're about to get their their next belt so ah see and so this is i'm glad we brought this up because this is an important point i don't want to lose against a basic blue belt right i'm a three stripe blue belt we'll pretend in this scenario that i'm the other person right and uh i could totally kick your butt i know mia mia informed me last night that you would destroy me in about 30 seconds if we were it was completely innocent by the way we have a very peaceful uh household but we're we're watching marvel movies lately and um and Mia saw this, it was like an advertisement and it was sort of like, I think Samuel L. Jackson was talking, I believe about, uh, Iron Man versus Captain America or something and who would win. And then it was, um, Captain Marvel. Yes. Right. And she basically turns out she can beat everybody. She's oh, yeah, the strongest. Yeah. yeah. And actually I already, I, I already, uh, knew that, which I love her watching like role models, but you're the real life role model. You're the one who actually puts in the real work. Yes. I'm just like Captain Marvel. I'm not trying to take anything away, but you have to actually work hard for all those things, <laughs> right? You, so anyways, um, to get back to the point I know is just looking at why people think that the, the way that they, they do and, I would not want you to beat me in that case with my three stripes, you know, versus your basic blue, right? I'm just going to say that would be embarrassing for me. So you could use that as your advantage saying just like me, like, ah, he's worried just like me. Yeah. And then realize that, okay, if I choose to focus on what I can do and I choose to focus on the basics and I'm not worried about all this other, you know, all the other fancy things that maybe this other athlete has been working on for their next belt, then I may have more clarity and get the job done and uh, just kind of sneak under the radar with the basics, which uh, that's another thing that we've talked about a lot with the basics are the best and those are the things that we tend to see the best of the best doing the most just keep repeating those basics but oftentimes we don't so we can use that to our advantage in thinking yeah this this other athlete is nervous just like me i can now choose to think about how i can take the advantage of that yeah that makes sense that does so we're going to move on to focus to the task at hand, which is kind of what we've been talking about, but controlling what you can control, doing those basics really well. But specifically, we can talk about when we're in that, let's say the hurt zone, and let's let's bring up a position that you could get yourself into that you fear, right? Um, of course, I know the arm bar would be terrible position to get into. Yeah, for me, it's been... Well, anytime you're on your back, that's a terrible feeling, but it's when somebody is on top of you and it's called side control and they're to the side of you, but your body is pretty much immovable. I mean, you can't, there's not a whole lot. It's a very hard position to, at least for me, to get out of. So that's like where I probably feel the most panic when I'm in that position. Sure thing. Yeah. So controlling what you can control 
of course, the breathing techniques are why I think I push that the most, at least with my coaching and my athletes, because it works so well for myself. When I'm in the worst positions, and that could be in performance, or that could be, you know, just distress, right? I could have uh, stomach issues. I could be in any kind of scenario where bringing it back to the basics for me would be breathing first. If I bring it all the way back to breathing, things tend to get better pretty quickly. And then I'm able to sort of refocus on what I can physically start doing performance wise next. And of course, using that breathing to increase that performance. Yeah, breathing is huge in jujitsu. I mean, breathing's huge in everything, but I do have one of the coaches, Tim Robo. Um, he's he always would tell me that you're not breathing, and that was and it's like, well, shoot, I'm not breathing. No wonder I'm feeling so panicked right now. So yeah, that's such an amazing, simple thing. Just just breathe. And why that is effective, guys? We'll bring it again back to the training. When I first start working with a client, especially in the assessment, I'm, I don't tell people how to move or how to breathe in an assessment. I want to see how they've been doing it. And I'd say more than nine times out of 10, the breathing that they're, that, that, that they're using to get through a movement is either rushed or it's uh, reversed even, um, but it's certainly not purposeful. And when I start to coach them on purposeful breathing, getting them into better belly breathing, we will have them say, come down into a squat, hold that position at the midpoint, we call it the sticking point, and then just hold and breathe in that position. Just isometric, don't move, hold that midpoint, and now just breathe. How long, coach? Give me three minutes. Very few people can do it. So that before I even start loading them up, that's what we're starting with, which is, by the way, if you ever take one of our programs and we suggest that you start with calisthenics, don't poo-poo it because our athletes will tell you that is the best programming, the hardest programming in a lot of ways that they did to get stronger. And by the time they get back to overloading, get back to the weights and those things, their technique and their breathing not only increased their strength, but they learned how to relax under tension. They learned how to use their breathing as a strong tool and even a weapon, right, for power. And uh, I think, you know, of course, you only have to look at guys like Bruce Lee to understand why that's so powerful. But I'm amazed at how many people have never really focused on their breathing, but they want more power. Yeah, that is one of the beautiful things about jujitsu, and I'm still very much a novice, but um, in the short time that I've been practicing jujitsu, that is, like I say, one of the beautiful things is you don't have to be the biggest, strongest person to, to win. It's technique, and it's taking your time, and it's a thought process, and yeah, that's the great thing about it is you can't really muscle your way through. In our episode last Thursday, where we focused on better breathing more, and that, again, will be in our special edition newsletter. If you're not signed up, sign up for that at www.pindolatraining.com. But th there was um, a purpose to that, especially with getting more inspiration in with those breaths. And I was just reminded, talking to one of my athletes the other day, that was actually given pointers by um, a runner I coached, geez, 
I want to say at least 10 years ago, Donald Bernard, if you're ever listening. And he was talking about when he gets stitches in his um, in his breathing, and, and it's common with a lot of runners to get kind of stitched up by their ribs. And I'm sure everybody's experienced that at one point or another. He would hold his breath just slightly longer on that side and then focus on that area that was cramped up. And that would help him to get that uh, cramp out and be able to keep running. And that was sort of the roots about 10 years ago when we started working on longer inspiration and focusing on bringing some purposeful compression or tension into an area and then relaxing it completely. And of course, then we end up getting into gut smasher drills and a lot of other things that kind of completed that ritual along the way to where you get so good at it, you're able to work it out even as you're running. And that was uh, a lesson that even I put myself through the other day when we started our three-lap run, Billy and I. We will be talking about that in our fat adaption series or fat utilization series. And the first lap I was running off of, well, I had food in my stomach, which I'm normally not used to. And then we were also talking. We we're supposed to be at a chatting pace and just starting slow and then finishing the last seven miles or so. We did a 22-mile day. So the last seven miles or so was supposed to be faster. And we ended up doing a good job with that. But having the cramp come on while we were talking was something I wasn't used to, especially not at easy paces and it's mainly because I wasn't used to having the food in my stomach but that is something I have to get used to for ultra running so by getting the breathing focusing on the breathing tactics and having that four steps breathing in three steps breathing out that allowed me to get my breathing back relax my muscles relax my performance and then I was able to get back to my pacing without the cramping again so it just becomes automatic over time and can make make a real difference and I told uh, my running partner that day this was actually a good thing I got a chance to get through this and see what it'd be like so when this happens to me in competition which inevitably it will I'm gonna know how to get through it yeah and that kind of ties into the next part which is the the trust your process and if you had a process already in place, like you said, through your rituals and through your, what you've been doing daily to lead up to this, then you can very much trust your process because you have put in the work and, and you know that you've done all this up to this point. So now it's time just to say, okay, I trust, I trust what my body's going to do now because it's done it before. And I know that I can, I can rely on this. Trusting your process is such an important step. And I I definitely think that it's it can be a very, very strong tool that you have to have ready by giving yourself the right feedback on a daily basis. So what I mean by that is I'll, I'll just say that I do not have the time to put in the mileage and the training of people I'm competing against. I Even at the higher level competitions, I'm going to talk about my breakthrough story and in that story, I was at nationals, and I pretty much guarantee you I had the lowest miles run a week out of any other competitor or biked. 
and it wasn't because I was purposely necessarily trying to do less than everybody else. I also probably didn't have as much time with a full-time business and a family. Um, and again, I know other people were in that situation too, but uh, at nationals, most of those people were either sponsored or just that's almost like their job to do that, whereas mine was not. So I kept going back to what I did in my training in the gym, for example, doing that isometric hold position on a uh, squat and getting comfortable in that position and then doing, say, eccentric backstep lunges with uh, heavy dumbbells creating some chaos, but also creating a lot of strength and stability so that my quads didn't get as tired coming off of the bike in that case as, as my competitors, or at least that was the goal. So I wouldn't have my quads cramping. And so that became a big advantage for me to think that way, but I could have very easily just thought about all the additional miles that my competitors were doing and just say, well, I'm not going to be able to keep up with these guys. They've just done more running or more biking than me, and uh, I haven't done enough work. I did the right work, and I had to believe that, though. Yeah, you really have to, for yourself, believe it, because as you said in the beginning of this whole conversation, that if you don't believe the things that you're telling yourself, then it's not really doing the job. You have to truly 100% trust your process, but also believe in your process and what you're telling yourself is true. Another thing the world's best tend to do is they confirm their ability with ING. So again, we've used this concept already today, talked about how we can think about that. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting faster. I'm getting better. But also there's a part of that ING that needs to be confirmed while you're competing even. So, for example, when somebody is uh, in the distance, say 100 meters in front of you, and you have a choice there to either start pulling them in and just focusing one step at a time, seeing them get just a little bit bigger in your vision, and just only focusing on that as a initial goal, or you could just choose to let them go and decide that that they're better or faster, right? So the idea is to compete, continue to use that ING philosophy, and then it still, see, this stuff ties in really closely with each other because it comes down to self-belief too. So if, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to, I was thinking of a scenario, not with jujitsu, but in the Spartan, since that's my only experience in the racing, but you know, that was one of my favorite or still is one of my favorite methods is I will find somebody that's in front of me and I will catch them. And then you pick them off and you're like, okay, cool. And that just boosts your, I just passed. Okay. Now I'm going to get that girl in the blue tank top. And then you kind of just like, you know, make your way through the, through the line until you get to, you know, you may or may not beat that next person. But like you say, each time you pass that person that you, that you focus on and it just gives you that much more confidence to want to pass that next person. Absolutely. A, a big thing that I think you can use ING for, even against competitors that may be fitter than you. I think this is a really good point because fitness comes up a lot, at least to me as a coach. So if you really are focusing on what you're doing well, you may be breathing 
better, more efficiently, in a better flow. You may, you may be focusing better and be in a better state of mind. And of course, that is a huge advantage in performance. And let's say you're doing those obstacles you're talking about. You may be climbing better. You may the, That's not always fitness. That's also, you know, that's neuromuscular. That's, that's uh, focusing on the current skill set you can use. Whereas that person in front of you, they, they may be just trying to like, they may be panicking a little bit, trying to stay ahead of you and not get caught. They're trying not to lose. So even though they may be more fit than you, if you're doing these other things really well, you may be the one who comes out ahead that day. It can't, it's not all about fitness. If it were, then competition would be much, much different. What we always say about the best is that they look relaxed, right? It looks like they're not even trying. It looks so easy. But in reality, it's just because they are just allowing themselves to do what's natural and stay in that flow. And it's almost like time will slow down when you're doing things right. You have plenty of time to, to do what you're doing. Even though you might be a speed demon out there, it's like it still feels like you can feel – um, every step, every breath, and that's how the level of focus you have, and it's all purposeful. Confirming your abilities with the ING would probably be my top thing that I'm working on personally, though. So that's something that on a daily basis, reminding myself that my breathing in different positions is important for my running, and it's not just all about running a faster time trial. So sometimes that also means that I have to let my ego go. Not sometimes, a lot of times. In fact, I know it's, I've just gotten so used to people running past me, going uh, up hills or on certain terrain, or even just on a road where it's nice and flat and they're just cruising along on what's supposed to be an easy day. And I just have to let them go and just do what I'm doing, which is focusing on my better breathing, which means that it's truly going to be an easy day, but very purposeful and focusing on my flow. So even though I'm in that kind of easy day, my focus and my control in control, ready to roll, it was one I use a lot is going to be all about purposeful practice and making my performance better. So even on those days, even though outsider looking in, you'd say, oh, Matt's just taking it easy today. I may actually be doing a lot more mechanically and mentally than you could, you would ever guess. Yeah, if you know what you're doing, then it doesn't really matter what other people are thinking. But I understand that is a little bit of an internal competition because it's like, well, I don't want that person thinking that I'm not as fast as I really am just because I'm going slow today. But you, like you said, you have your, you know your ability and you understand what you're reason is for doing that training session that specific way and if it really is about the journey not the destination then you need to take each day kind of like that like this is all part of my process and I know that the end this is all going to work because I have it planned out this way when I do have those moments where I get um I feel like I want to just prove something and run faster but I but I know that's not supposed to be the day I just remind myself that on the day when I do have my championship day, my performance day, whether or not those people in question would be even there to see it or to compete against me is irrelevant. I'm going to be 
a better version of me on that day, I'm going to get through a new threshold. That's what I'm working towards. I want to cross that line knowing I did everything I could. And believe it or not, I think that oftentimes it's the athletes that are consistently working too hard on hard days and they're afraid to take an easy day what that really means is it's impossible for those hard days to be hard enough you just can't push that hard all the time and generally speaking i think that that's an insecurity like an athlete can't take an easier day because they need that day to get better than everybody else but it really it's doing the opposite. You're just allowing the competition to catch you if you keep training that way. So I just try to remind myself of that is leave the ego at the door. And when it's time to go, I'm going to be ready. Yeah. I like that. Just kind of saving something for the actual competition. Yep. And uh, so we're going to follow our, our three P's for performance and our we're going to make sure that we're uh, really focusing a little bit more on what type of uh, protocol we're using, what kind of priming we're using, and how we are using our practices, our daily practices, our rituals to get us, I'd say, even mostly to our goals. If you are just focused on your rituals, your your priming, what I mean by priming is doing proper work to work up both mentally and physically your mind and body through these visualization tactics and getting energized daily for the task at hand which again doesn't always mean all out that's going to be such an important ritual so when you go to prime and you go to perform on your big day it's also automatic there's really no need to be nervous but even if you are it's so you you get so good at getting yourself into a more relaxed state you're the odds of you being able to get into the flow when you need it the most are much much better i think worrying early is a good way to put all this by creating rituals and by focusing on those performances you worry uh, early on and then when you get to your main performance you've done it so much you don't have to worry any anymore yeah and i like to take that sense of nervousness and kind of tell myself i'm actually just excited i remember that years ago as a dancer in competition and oh my gosh i'd be so nervous i was shaking and it's like i can't breathe i can't go out there i can't do this and my dance teacher gina she would say i'm actually really glad you're nervous because that means that you care and that you're invested and so you're and and i remember that at the time even being you know 12 years old like it just made sense to me it's like oh yeah well if i wasn't nervous then it probably you know, if I just went out there, it's like, I don't really care what happens, then I wouldn't have these nerves. So now, ever since then, it's like, I'm actually thankful for those nervous feelings, because you can turn that into excitement. And I think that's a huge advantage. Yeah, when you focus on what you don't want, you tend to get what you don't want. And, you know, when when you have that kind of resistance, it's, it's, it's tougher to be persistent, right? And so we, we want to use these tools to our advantage and knowing that it's all really as easy as focusing on the things we're doing well. And in general, I get back to what are the three things that I'm doing well? Now, that could be on a daily basis. That could be in my life or the tasks that I'm committing to. Or that could be in my current performance. So I can get back to, again, my breathing well. 
I'm moving my arms well. I'm I'm focusing on my my current mindset by saying in control, ready to roll well. So those are a few things that I know I can control and that all tie in together. And then what's the one thing I can improve? So going up to that next section of the course that I realize has a steep hill and being a heavier runner with without as much an advantage going uphill if the hill's longer than others can be hard and, and, and mentally that's tough to overcome knowing that so-and-so is probably going to get ahead of me going up that hill. So what I can choose to focus on more is how I'm pushing down into ground, power tending, accelerating to the top of that hill, cresting the hill, and then winding up and pulling that competitor in because maybe they made their move early and tried to push too hard up the hill. And that might be a good advantage for them at the time, but now I'm going to use my advantage. And I know that I can step down quickly, use my weight going downhill, catch up and even pass that person. So it's all about keeping that right mindset. So talking about your breakthrough stories, first of all, I want to say that I'd love to hear what your breakthrough story is. Email us. Aaron, where can they get? Um, we've been doing the Pandola Project at Gmail, but I would ask you guys, that's fine, but um, to get a more direct link to me, um, Aaron, at pandolatraining.com. We're going to start using that, I think, a little more than the, the Gmail. I just check it more frequently. So Aaron at pandolatraining.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear some of your personal breakthrough stories. That would be fantastic. I, I've gotten five or six people who have sent me their breakthrough stories, clients of mine, and the transparency has been just amazing, but I've been able to really help them so much more as a coach once I understood more about what makes them tick, why they love what they do, but also just, again, being vulnerable once we go through a breakthrough story that tends to be a story where you were in the zone you did hit the flow maybe you don't you haven't done it again but you've been there before most likely you've all been there at one time or another and it usually comes back to common threads like i just that day i didn't worry about so and so i didn't think about what i couldn't do i just kind of put it all out there and when i finished when i crossed that line or when the tournament was over, I had no regrets. It, whatever, whatever position I ended up getting, whatever the outcome was, hint, hint, it was the process that made the experience so wonderful to me. And it always, guys, comes down to why do you love it? Yeah, and not to make it so basic, but it kind of is in my mind of bringing it back to an eight-year-old like my daughter and saying, did you have fun though? Because at the end of the day, that's what I want for her. You know, so what if you if you messed up something or so what if it didn't go? Did you have fun? And it's always a yes. And that to me, I'm like, that that's all I that's all that, you know, needs to be present right now is you had a good time because, yeah, at the end of the day, what if you won, but you had a horrible time doing it? Then was that even a good experience? Probably not. So just have fun. <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty basic. But to me, it's it's an important lesson. Wow, that that was it. Really brought back a lot of memories as you were talking. And when I was a kid, 
I, it depends on where you live, of course, and level of competition. If you happen to live in a place like California, it can be tough just to win a local road race. But when I was growing up, there wasn't a ton of competitors out there. I actually won a lot of my running shoes and watches, basically all the gear I used for running. Uh, I won a lot of that through winning races. And I'm, I'm talking about junior high school. I won my first overall race. And I, at that time, I, couldn't, I could not use that money uh, because I thought maybe one day I'd go to the Olympics, right? So you never accept cash or anything. But I would go to races where you could accept a prize of under X amount or whatever. And so basically, it usually be about a $100 value for a gift certificate for shoes or for a watch or something. So uh, I built up a lot of confidence. But uh, I mean, I'd even do silly things just to uh, make the races interesting. And that's that was kind of when I was in my heyday. And yet, really, it was false confidence because I wasn't against any real competition. Felt good. But that's also what made it tougher for me when I got around the best of the best. And remember when I was in San Antonio running against some of uh, the guys on John Purnell's team, and these guys we ran – we ran for about 20 miles that would have been a PR pace for me, and I led for 19 of those miles, and then they all just went sub-five minutes on their last mile in the 20th mile, and I realized that I had not prepared myself properly for that level of competition. So uh, talking about breakthrough stories, I want to just kind of skip ahead now to a few years ago when I went to nationals, and my personal breakthrough story was about overcoming some self-doubts and some odds. And I'll start off with just time uh, management. Like I didn't have as nice of a racing bike as some others, although I did get a nicer bike. I didn't have the time to train as much as others, especially not people who had some sponsorships or, um, you know, or even just made their whole life about the sport. Maybe didn't have, um, you know, a family to look after and things like that. And some of them did. It just it was just in my mind that I was probably going to be at a disadvantage going into nationals. But I really wanted to hit the podium because that's just something that I really felt like I needed and it was not about money. It was not about even who knew about it. Um, if you guys know me, I'm terrible at posting things on Instagram or whatever, trying to get better at it. But I didn't even, I don't even think I posted anything afterwards. It was just more about proving something to myself. And I needed, I needed to be proven. So I went into duathlon and it was a 10K race where you started off uh, running and then you did 26.2 on the bike and then you did 5k running again and it was really windy that day so going into it i knew that my watts were good i could hold over 300 watts for an hour so most cyclists will tell you that's pretty good but i could not um, imagine trying to fight the wind all day my i'm bigger than most of the other um, endurance athletes. And, uh, th that's, that's in part because of my firefighting and uh, I purposefully put muscle on it. It took me a long time to do that. And then I just got to the point where I, I personally like a little bit more, uh, muscle on me. And I, I know that that means that it can limit, um, how absolute 
my running speed can be for especially longer distances, but I'm willing to take that trade off. So my advantage though, in doing a duathlon was supposed to be that I could eat people up on the bike, right? Because I had more power and I could even use my weight to an advantage at times a lot more than others. But I got kind of stuck because of the wind and the gusts of wind were so, were so fierce that my, my body is not going to be aerodynamic enough. And other guys now had a bigger advantage that were slighter and slimmer. So there kind of went my advantage. And I really wanted to make the podium. We, we started that race off with a 10 K went out really fast. In fact, one of my athletes is the one who took it out that fast. And I was like, uh, thanks Cody. If he's listening, I think he came in second that day overall, uh, really fit guys. Um, all-american triathlete i believe right now still anyways we ended up going into um like kind of a flatter section on the course where i felt tempted to speed up but i realized i had a long ways to go so i just kind of tucked in with the field now in in that kind of competition you can't draft on the bike but I could get behind about 10, 12 guys and let them take more of the wind or get in the middle of that group and let them take a little bit more of the wind. So I did that as much as I could and just kind of used that magnet theory where they, they were just pulling me along. And in my head, I just thought, okay, you guys are just pulling me along. This is easy. No problem. Conserving my energy. Got off the 10K onto the bike, and now you're not allowed to draft. And man, those winds were really picking up. And so I just tucked myself in the best position I could be, reminded myself I trained that a lot in case this happened. I was always focusing on better form. I even had used a biking coach, Rich Staley, to help me with that. And so I just really focused on my cyclic action on the bike and just using as little energy as possible to go as fast as possible, but without fighting the, the wind so much. And knowing that I could probably produce more watts than most of the rest of the field, but that it would also take more out of me that I wanted it to. So that was a real patience phase for me. When I was younger, I would have been too insecure, guys, to do that. So that's that's kind of the big pivotal point for me in this story is I realized then that I couldn't compete like I did when I was younger. I was also only 148 pounds when I was younger, and then I was competing at 173 pounds at the time, so way different. And so I end up getting off the bike in a good place, but my legs were burning more than I wanted them to. And I was not anywhere near the podium yet. We had 5K to go. We ran in that first section. Uh, I could not see anybody coming off the bike. I had just been left by the main head pack. And um, again, they were kind of dueling it out up front. Um, I was competing for a master's position. So most of the masters, I didn't know, honestly, if they were behind me still or if they were ahead of me. I really had no idea how I was doing in my division. But I saw this hill coming up, and I had practiced a lot of hill repeats. And I just told myself, you know what? I'm going to charge this hill. I'm going to prove to myself that 
I'm strong and I've trained for this and it doesn't matter that I'm a heavier runner. I'm going to surge up this hill. And I did and I caught a guy and I passed him and I just power tend it, pushing into the ground hard 10 times on each, each foot. And then I just ended up continuing that momentum and I could now see the, the, the top group up ahead and the main top group. And I just slowly started drawing them back in, acting as if I had some kind of a lasso or something. And I was roping in that group and pulling with my arms, pulling that rope, pulling that rope. And they were slowly getting bigger until I finally caught up to them. And then I just used, again, that magnet approach. And then taking the turnaround in that race, it was, again, it was a bit of up incline. And then it was a 180 turn. Most people, they slow down on 180s. So that's something I knew, and I took that as an advantage. I took that cone, and I just power tend it and ran as hard as I could around the cone and down. And I kept riding that momentum, if you will. And that's where I made my big break. I was in the zone at that point. All I focused on was just my power, how much I could distribute and push down into the ground and really take advantage because I knew in my heart of hearts that I was strong. And at this point in the race, the wind had actually been my friend because it sucked the energy out of my competitors more than it had me because they didn't have the confidence to maybe start slower and end faster like that. They were trying to not get caught. They were trying to not lose. And at that point, I was the one with the momentum. So I kept going, I kept going. And I just, all I know is, next thing I know is I was one more step, one more step in my mind because that's how much everything hurt. Crossed the line, kind of collapsed. Didn't have any idea what place I had gotten. I ended up finding out I was second overall for Masters. And... More more importantly, I think that I realized that I could not have gone any faster that day. I could not have done any better. I was just really proud of how I handled that situation. So the way I think of that journey, guys, is that it mattered to me, and it was a breakthrough performance because I was happy, I was proud, and I was proven. And that's the point of a true breakthrough story for yourself, not the podium position, Right. Because, I mean, really, let's be honest, I got second. Right. I wanted to be the national champion. I mean, I go into things like that because I wanted the champion jersey. Somebody else got that jersey. I didn't get that jersey, but I was I still wouldn't change a thing about that day. And it's it's probably at least in recent years, I can say it's my it's my proudest day performance wise. It's a great story. I haven't actually heard the full uh, the full story like that. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and of course, you were here in Reno, and I, that competition was in San Antonio. That's, that's why you and Mia couldn't be there. And, and of course, I, I wish you, you could have been, but uh, at the same time, even when you try to relay these type of things, this, this journey, this process, sometimes it doesn't come out uh, the, right away. And I think it really wasn't in my mind this way until Dr. DeCotter asked me to write my breakthrough story and realizing that, wow, that was a lot more of an impact than I realized. So again, guys, that's why using a learning log and journaling, and even just if, uh, if you would follow this assignment and send this to us, I think we, well, we can come up with 
a contest right here. It's a little bit of just off the cuff, but if if you send in your breakthrough story and we pick your breakthrough story, um, I think that if you're up for it, we interview you on the podcast and you talk about your breakthrough story to us. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So yeah, email Aaron at PindolaTraining.com. We'd love to get a few so we have some to, to go over. And um, yeah, we'd love, that's a great idea, interview about your breakthrough story. All right, guys. Well, I know today's story was all about me, but now let's hear about you. Can't wait to get your stories. Thank you.